But good morning, and good morning to all of you watching us online. My name is Hendrik, and I will be sharing with you some revelations that I have picked up um, in, in, in doing this this morning. So, I have been asked to talk to you this morning about Abraham. <laughs> but not that one. And not that one either. And you're all thinking, who is that? It will be revealed. So, I would like to talk to you this morning about Abraham. And I can see the panic on your faces. That's not Abraham. Surely not. But bear with me. It might all be revealed and it might all start making sense in a minute as to why I've got a picture of Noah up there. Um, in, when we do Bible study in youth, there's a process that we follow. Um, and I wonder if any of the youth here remembers what that process are. And Daniel's got his hand up. Dan, what's that process? Perfect. Yes, so what Daniel said is we, we read the passage or we read what it is that, that's in the Bible. We then put it into context. And then once we put it into context, we then go and we then hang it on the golden thread. We, we, we take it to the whole of the Bible and we hang it on the golden thread of the Bible, which is obviously God's love for us. And then we take it and we apply it to our lives. So um, with that in mind, I would like to start with a little bit of context first and, and, and put this just to give us an understanding, because it's so important to know what happened at the time when we read what has gone on in that time. Because societies are different, cultures are different, and boy, is it sometimes different. We read some stuff in the Bible and we go, goodness me. Um, you know, if we do any of that today, we'll be in a heap of trouble. So, um, so in that sense, it's good to just put it in context and understand what it is that happened and why it happened. Because that gives us just a little bit of background to understand it a, a, a little bit better. And why do, we, why do we then take it to the whole Bible and hang it on the, the golden thread that I said? It is so that we can see how God's love and God's purpose fits into this context at that moment. And that's then when things happen and we apply it to our life. So that's kind of the process that I want to follow today. So if you come on this journey with me, then, um, then uh, let's find out. So reading the depiction of the great flood in Genesis 6, and that's why I've got Noah up there. Um, it gives us a good context to look at the life of, of Abram and try to understand it a little bit more and try to understand just how he could just pack up and go. How could he just do that? How could he just leave? So Genesis 11 tells us about Abram's genealogy and sets a very interesting scene. And this is what I want to have a bit of a look at. So I think we're a little bit early with that slide, Julian, but it's okay. Um, you can have it up and people can start reading it so long. So um, looking at the genealogy, it sets that very interesting picture for us and, and, and help us with the context. And it showed me something that I never realized as I was reading this chapter. That Abram was born as the ninth generation after the flood. So if you calculate the years that it says in Genesis 11, it's about 292 years after the flood, Abram was born. We've got buildings in Cheltenham that's older than 292 years. So that made me sit up and take note. And I was like, gosh, I never knew that. I thought it was many moons after that Abram was born. I didn't realize it was so close. And it tells us as well in the Bible that Noah lived 350 years 
after the flood. So I can see you're doing maths in your head. That's what I did when I read this. And that Noah in the end of his life was 950 years old. So this means that Noah was still alive when Abram was born. Now for me that was something magical. Not magical. Wonderful. Let's put it that way. So much so that I ran downstairs and tell my wife. I was like, whoa, you never, you, this is what I've read. Wow, it's amazing. And, I went, oh, and she was going, okay. <laughs> so, so if this isn't as a revelation to you as it is with me, come on the journey and hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll unlock that, um, that wow factor for you as we go on. But every generation that was born before Abram was still alive if you calculate all the years that it says in the Bible. Now, I know that the scholars amongst you and people that like to look at all these things in the Bible and, and all these things will, will sit there and think, but they counted differently than what we did and we do. And you're right. But the common belief is that in that area and in that time, they used the Chaldean calendar to calculate the years. And what that calendar was is it takes 12 months of 30 days to calculate a year. So instead of 365 and four and a quarter days, they had 360 days in their calendar. And that does make a little bit of a difference, but it, it's not really consequential for today, but just to give you that, that sort of thought. So that means that when Abram was born, Noah was 881 years old, and he lived to be 939. So not much of a difference, but he was an old man when Abram was born. This is all good and well, but why am I telling you all of this? This has obviously got very little to do with Abram. But it hasn't. It's got quite a lot to do because it sets the scene of the culture of that time, of what went on, what was going on in the time that Abram was born in. And, 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 and there's something that I want to pick out here, which I'll do in a minute. But the society that Abram was born into was a well-established society. The Bible says that Noah, when he came out the ark, he became a farmer. And he put some vineyards up and he really enjoyed the product of, and the fruit of his labor, shall we say. Um, but he was a farmer, so there was establishment. They settled. There were cities, and we hear of great cities at the time, of Nineveh and Babel and all these type of places. So they were well established as a society. And they had culture. They had a belief system. They had society. So it wasn't just a group of guys with camels going from one part to the other part. It was established. And they also lived relatively close to each other. Okay, so bear with me. Some of you look very puzzled. Where is it going with this? Now, if we take the account of the flood literally in Genesis, it means that everybody that lived at that time came from one family. Now, for me, that was a little bit of a revelation as well in, in the sense of now it makes sense while everybody at the Tower of Babel spoke one language. But I didn't do much into that or search into that, so there may be a study in that that somebody has probably already done. But that was like a wow factor for me again. But they all lived relatively close, and they all came from the same family. So it is likely that they all would have known each other, or at least would have known of each other, in the sense that probably Abram knew of Noah as his great times nine grandfather. <laughs> or Noah might have known about Abram as his great times nine grandson. Who knows? But it's quite possible in the setting that they all grew up in. And if you also account for the fact that in those days, history was passed down by oral tradition. So they would have told each other about history as they, as they meet each other, as they come together, and things like that. 
It is also likely then that Abram would have known about the flood and everything about the flood. He would have known all the prequel stories. He would have known the actual story. And he would have known all the spin-off stories that gathered around that. He would have known what happened. And he potentially would even have heard it from the people that was on there. So can you imagine what it must be like to hear from Shem how they herded all the animals into the ark and, and, and hear from Yafet how, how fantastic it was to be the first person to ever see a rainbow. Or hear from Noah himself about the blessing that God bestowed on him and his children and his descendants, the promise that he gave them. And hear from Noah how God is real and how God protected them and came true on his promise. And how God placed them all under a covenant with the God Most High. And that covenant at that stage has been standing for 229 plus years. So it's true. God hasn't gone back on his word. The covenant stands. So let's read in Genesis what God said to Noah. And why I say that Abram was under a covenant with God already at this stage. So we'll start with verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then if we go to verse 8, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Thus, I establish my covenant with you. In verse 11, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So that's a covenant that God made with Noah and all his descendants. So Abraham was under that covenant when he was born, which I think... Is, is, is pretty good. So that's setting the scene just a little bit for me to start off on this journey. But I want to take you on a further journey and, and I want to look at the life of Abram and how he went and how he went on a discovery with God. How he learned about God, how he discovered God in everything that happened with him. And that's why I chose today's title to be Know Who I Am. Because I felt really strong that that's important when I started reading through Abraham and, and, and everything and his whole history and, and everything is that it is all about knowing who God is. Who God is for us, but also who God is on the earth. So let's travel with Abram as he goes on a discovery of the area, but also on a discovery of who God is. So when Abram was 75, God gave him a promise and God gave him instructions to leave his familiar home his family and go to wherever God will send him and give him a blessing okay so that's pretty good if it comes from God you know God most high it's pretty pretty decent but if you don't mind going back to slide two for me please Julian so if this man were to come to you and say to you Christian or Phil or whoever I want you to pack up everything you have, literally everything. Stick it in a car, or if it's more than a car, in a caravan. And I want you to go. I'm not telling you where. You'll find out where. 
but I'll, off you go, and along the way I'll bless you and, and, and these type of things. Would you go? It's unlikely, isn't it? It's unlikely that you would just pack up everything and go. What about all your kids, friends at school? I guess that's the least of your worries, but just pack up and go. No, you won't. I will, because I know this man. This man is my father. And I trust him 100%, because I know him. So I will pack up my stuff, and I will go. But it's fair to say that you won't. So thank you for putting that up, Julian. So Abram, at that stage, must have known something about God. For him to just pack everything up, just go off, grab all his stuff, grab his wife, Sarai, and go, honey, we're going. Where are we going? Oh, I don't know yet. <laughs> but we go in, and it'll be okay. I think it's a fair, fair thing to say that he would have known about God at that stage. And he would have used that knowledge of God to aid him in that decision-making. So, why? Why would he go? Why would he just back up and leave? Because there was something about God, something about who God is, that made him take note. At that stage, he might only have known God as the God Most High, the God of Noah. But there was something about that that made him go. And when they came to Canaan, God appeared to Abram and spoke to him. And here we get the first glimpse of the promise and the covenant of God that God made with him. So now Abram knows God that little bit more, wouldn't you say? Because God appeared to him. If God appeared to you, you would know God a little bit better, wouldn't you? So God appeared to him and he knew God better. And the Bible tells us this because the Bible says that Abram built an altar to God and he called upon God's name. So at the very least, he knew God well enough to know his name, to be able to call upon his name. So Abram's knowledge of God increased. And his journey now takes him further south into Egypt. And this is where it gets a little bit, wow, because I've heard a lot of people say to me in the past, and I've said it myself, you know, that if I can just see God, if I can just know that God is real, for the rest of my days, I will follow God, and I'll believe in him 100%, and I'll do everything that he asks me to do. Yeah? Is that fair? But Abram didn't. Because on his journey to Egypt, he wobbles, and he wobbles quite greatly. And he decides to deceive the Pharaoh of Egypt, because he was scared, because he forgot for that moment God's promise that God will keep him safe. So he wobbles, he lies to Pharaoh, he pulls a, a, a little stunt, and at that moment, God steps in. Now, you can read that for yourselves if you want the whole story of how he deceives Pharaoh, but God steps in at that point, and God Plagues the whole house of Pharaoh with a plague. Plagues with a plague? Yes, that's what he done. He plagues it with a plague. So much so that Pharaoh is filled with fear. And he gives Abram loads of stuff. He gives him Sarai back as well, but he gives, he gives Abram loads of things. Herds of cattle, herds of sheep, 
lots of riches. And he says to Abraham, just go, please, just go. So Abraham now knows a little bit more of God again, doesn't he? He wobbled, God stepped in. But he knows now God is his rescuer. And what God said to him is becoming, is becoming to come true. And what God said to him was, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And that's exactly what God did. And then God blessed him with wealth on the back of that. I mean, Abram is now so rich and wealthy that him and Lot, his nephew that joined him on the trek from Haran, they were so wealthy, their herds were so big that the land could not contain them or sustain them. So they had to split up. And Lot went his way and he chose the best land, you know, the whole valley by Sodom and Gomorrah, the green bit, the fantastic bit. And Abram was kind of left with the rest. And they had to split because they couldn't. That, that's, how, that's how wealthy he was at that stage and how God blessed him. And after that split, God speaks to Abram again. And we get the third blessing confirmation and the second about the covenant. Second glimpse of the promise and the covenant. And God then gives that bit of land where he is to Abram. And, and Abram then settles um, in Hebron, and that's where his tent is. So, fantastic. In the process, Abram becomes wealthier and wealthier and gains more and more influence as he, as, he, as he settles and as he's there. So much so that when Lot, his nephew, gets caught up in a war between three kings and five kings, they decided to go to war, so they went to war, and, and Lot got caught up in this. And he got captured and taken away. All of his wealth, all of his people taken away. But Abram at this stage is so wealthy and so influential that he put an army together and he went out and he rescued Lot. And this is also the point where Abram meets Melchizedek. And we've heard of Melchizedek in other texts in the Bible. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem and also known as the priest of God, most high. And Melchizedek then blesses him as well, gives Abram a blessing and, and also says to Abram that it was God that gave you this victory. So again, Abram learns a bit more about God, that God is now also his savior and that the blessing of God continues more and more. And all of this takes place over the course of 24 years. And when Abram was 99 God appeared to him again. And God in person, personally, went down to Abram and spoke to Abram. And that is where he made the covenant with Abram in person. And during this, God gives the fourth affirmation of the promise to Abram and then changes his name from Abram to Abraham. So that's quite significant in that stage. So if we read that, in Genesis 17, verse 7 to 9 quickly. Then we can go further from there. And it says there, And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. So that's the covenant that God then established 
with Abram that all the promise and everything hangs on. And it is also here that the blood oath of circumcision comes in to seal this covenant. And after all of this and all these things, while this was still going on, while God is still there talking to Abram, Abram wobbles again. Wow. In the presence of God, he wobbles about God. That's quite significant for me. But anyway, so he wobbles again. Because at that point, God changed Sarah, his name, to Sarah. And he again said to Abram, Sarah will bear you a child. And, and, and Abram was like, how? You know, she's barren. I'm old. She's old. This ain't going to happen. And he laughed at God in his heart at that point. Did God get angry? No. Did God decide, oh, well, that's it for you then, Abram. I'll go find somebody else and do it with them. No, he didn't. God confirmed his promise with Abram again, despite all the wobbles that Abram has had. Which I think shows us, and Abram, a great thing about Abram. And he said to Abram, you will call your son Isaac. At this stage, God also blesses Abram's other son, Ishmael, which is the result of another wobble where after God affirmed him that, that Sarah will bear a child, Abram decided, well, this is taking too long. And he took it on his own back to make the promise happen. And Ishmael was born. So on the, you know, just the poor man just keeps wobbling. Anyway, so God then leaves Abram. And Abram then calls all the men in his, in, under his command together. All of them. Those slaves, the ones that he bought, his people, his children, grand, all of them, all the male together. And he said, right, guys, this is it. And he circumcised a lot of them, which I think would have been a bit of a discussion. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> Abram's knowledge of God has again increased here. And it has taken and gone that little step further. And the relationship between God and Abraham is coming closer and closer and becoming more and more personal. Because God has now also said that he is Abraham's God. So, and that for me is significant because it's now a personal relationship that God has with Abraham. But also, Abraham's knowledge of God has now grown so much that one day he was sitting in his tent and when God showed up with two other men, and it, at this stage it doesn't matter who these men were or anything like that, that's not bearing on what I want to talk about today, but God in a trio shows up, and Abraham recognizes God, and he runs out, falls on his face, and worships God. That's how far their relationship has got to at this stage, that he recognizes God, which I think is amazing. And in this part of this discussion, God again affirms that out of Sarah, he will have his descendants. Now, Sarah overhears this, which means it was an audible conversation for her to overhear this. Sarah overhears this, and she laughs in her, in her heart, not out loud. She laughs at it, and she goes, how is this possible? God hears her, and he doesn't get angry. He just confirms it again and says, it will happen. Because I have promised. We then get the bit of cheeky moment from Abraham 
where God and these two men takes him and shows him the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah and God informs him that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram goes in cheeky barter mode. And, and you can read about it. It's quite funny, actually, how he starts with, if there's 50, will you save it? And God says, mm, okay. And then he goes, mm, what if there's 45? And God goes, okay. And it seems in the text as if he bends God's arm and, and gets it down to, to a minuscule amount of people before God will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Which again shows us how far his relationship with God has come. So if we take him back to Noah, where it was just the God of Noah, or God the Most High, to the point now where he's got a personal relationship with God in a one-to-one -one situation, and he feels free enough to barter with God. How far has that relationship grown, and how much better does Abram know God now? It's massive, isn't it? And you would think, that's enough, isn't it? But it's not, because Abram travels south, and he wobbles again. He meets a king, and he's scared again that he's going to be killed. So he pulls the Egypt trick, and he says, Sarah is my sister. She's not my wife. Again, that's the Egypt trick. So God then has to step in again. So he did, and he shows up to the king in a dream, and he said to the king, if you touch her, you're dead. Basically is what God says to this king. And the king is fearful, and he gives Sarah back, and he says to, 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 to Abram, just go. Again, please, hear some stuff. Just go. And Abram leaves. And it is at this point then also that Sarah then comes with child, and, and Isaac is born. So the promise in that sense has been fulfilled. In that, Abram would have a son. And God has kept increasing Abram's riches. And his influence so much that that king was still fearful of Abram, even after he sent Abram away, to the point where he goes to Abram and he says, please, just deal with me justly. You know, I can see that God is with you. Wow, what a statement. I can see that God is with you. And I'm scared, so please, deal with me justly. Which I think is quite significant in the fact that he can now show people his relationship with God. And I'll have to hurry up. I can see time's running out. But after all of this and all these things, it brings us to the point that we all know the best story, or not the best, but the most well-known story of Abraham and Isaac, where God comes and God tests Abraham's faith to him. God tests Abraham's love for God and, and, and his knowledge of who God is and how much faith is he really in God. And he says to Abraham, take your son, this son of the promise that you've been waiting for so long, Take him up a mountain and offer him to me as a burnt offering. Gosh, <laughs> what a decision. You know, it'll take me at least, well, I'll try and stretch it out as long as I can, a hundred years to make my mind up, if I can, to avoid having to do that. But the very next morning, Abram packs up, takes two servants, takes Isaac, a bundle of wood, and off they went. And that's extraordinary. And that's because he knew who God was. He knew God was a God of promise. He knew God will come through. He knew that God will provide. Because after they left the two servants and he packs the wood on Isaac's back and he says, off you go, my son. You're going up that mountain. Isaac goes, but dad, where's the lamb? 
And Abraham said to him, God will provide. Which I think is extraordinary. And there's a whole thing to discover with Isaac there as well, but that's for another time. But then he takes him up a mountain, ties his hands and feet, lays him down, and is about to sacrifice him. Where's the lamb? God will provide. God steps in and God goes, boom, there's your ram. Sacrifice your ram, don't sacrifice your son. And God then blesses Abram. And he affirms with Abram that the promise will be fulfilled. And he knew God would do it. But he will never see this, prob- this promise fulfilled of generations being born under him and through him and from him. But he knew God will make it happen. He believed in God and had faith in God. So if we go to Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3, I'll just quickly read this so that we can see what it is that, that the Bible says about Abram's faith. And it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were formed, framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And if we jump to verse 7, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. And this is the bit. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, He dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as a good, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. But all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in this land. Wow, just wow. If we think about the whole thing that Abram has, has gone through and the journey that he's been on, makes these verses pop out a bit more and it just puts a little bit of weight on them. For me at least. But how could they do this, all these fathers of faith? They could do this because they knew who God were. That's why they could do it. That's why he could pack his son up, take him up a mountain, tie his hands and feet, And be prepared to offer him to God. Because he knew who God was. He has learned who God was. He went on a journey with God. And he discovered who this God is. That said, I am your God. And that's great. So let's quickly hang it on the rest. Or take it to the rest of the Bible. And and, and hang it on this golden thread. And see what what, what, what we get. Where we get. So God chooses Abram to build his nation. And he wants to bless Abram. And keep Abram. And he wants to develop this relationship. So God puts all the effort in to develop this relationship. God steps in. God does this. God does that. God help him. God do this. God nurtures this relationship with Abram. And all the more, continually blessing him and blessing him and blessing him. 
like the promise. And Abraham didn't notice it, potentially. For him, it might just have been coincidence. But God blessed him, and God kept him. Abraham's faith did not just pop up. And his trust and belief in God, that God accounted him for righteousness, did not just happen without God revealing himself to Abraham. And Abraham knowing God, his nature, and who God is. So what can we learn from this as we try and apply this to our lives? A potential recipe. We love a bit of a recipe, don't we, on how to do Christianity a bit easier. This is a potential one, although maybe not. But um, anyway, so if you know God, he will trust God more. And if you trust God more, you will know God even more. And if you know God even more, you will trust God more. And so forth. And you will then be able to do the things that God asks you to do. Because you trust him. Because you know him. Because you trust him, because you know him, and so forth. And this is what Abraham has done throughout his journey. But how do we find out and learn more about God in our lives? That's the question. How do we know God more? And how do we go on this journey and really find out who God is? So if we take the story of Abraham and apply it to our lives, it, it could be something like just listening to witnessing of people that has gone before us, generations that's gone before us, reading about it, talking to them, finding out what has God done in their lives. And that's what Abraham did, potentially, with Noah and, and Shem and, and, and Yahweh. He learned from their stories that God is a God that you can trust. So if he says go, pack your stuff and go. We can do this also by looking at the lives of others and the blessings that God has given other people. And here we've got a choice. We can either be a little bit envious and maybe even a bit jealous about all the blessings that other people get. We can go, why have they got a new car and I haven't? Or we can look at the nature of God in the blessing that he gives to other people. And we can look at who God is in the blessings that other people get. And then we know God better as a generous God, as a God that fulfills his promises. And that, again, is what Abram did when he looked back at Noah's life and at, again, Shem and Japheth, but also with Lot getting the best bit of land and he got stuck with the rest. And also the promise that God fulfilled about Sodom and Gomorrah. We can learn from our own experiences and encounters with God and how that grows our relationships, like all the events that Abram went through, by looking at the promises that God has made and delivered on, again, from other people, but also from us. And this is how we get to know God, see him revealed to us and build our relationship with him. We even see this in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus knew who God was. He was in a close relationship with God, and that's why he could do what God wanted him to do, and that was to save us. And why does God want to save us? Because like Abraham, God wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to build you up. He wants to bless you. He wants to keep you. He wants to give you promises that he will fulfill. And more and more, he wants you to be blessed and trust him and then becomes his hand and feet. So looking at the story of Abraham and looking at everything that he's done and how he has learned to know God, do you want to know God? Do you want to get to know God better? I know I do, and it's a journey that I'm on because I wobble. And I think we all might every now and again doubt and wobble. But God confirms his love to us 
time and time again. And if we keep looking at the cross, it is there, our salvation and God's love 100% on display.